The views, opinions, and advice expressed in this podcast are solely those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and positions of Patterson Media or the sponsors of this program. Breathe out. Wellness is only one out of four Canadians is exercising on a regular basis. Three out of four are not. And that's just not good. Our temperaments, our personalities, our irritabilities, our moods, all of those things get affected when we haven't had a great night of sleep. It's been years now. I'm having these issues to go to sleep. It's about being purposeful and intentional and deliberate. And sleep is foundational. Welcome to Choosing Wellness, your one-stop shop for practical advice about how to attain better physical and mental well-being so that instead of just surviving, you're thriving. Choosing Wellness is powered by Patterson Media. In this series, we'll share a health journey and explore the trends and talk to the experts that will help you live your best life, and we'll have fun doing it. In this episode, let's get moving for family health. Much to do about sleep, a being real story on living with chronic insomnia, unlocking melatonin, and some sleep math with Stephanie Staples of Life Unlimited. I'm Linda Freeman. Come join the journey of choosing wellness. Health Tags Social media is part of our daily life. And let's face it, there's a lot of noise out there. We use hashtags to help find content related to specific topics. So we've created Health Tag. Like hashtags, we explore what's trending in the world of wellness. Family wellness. What does that look like to you? Eating well, maybe? Or spending time together and staying physically active? Lack of exercise in youth has been slowly declining, even before the pandemic. Researchers in Canada look at three ways of assessing kids' wellness. There is getting adequate sleep, getting adequate exercise, and getting not too much screen time. And before the pandemic, only 15 to 20% of kids were meeting those guidelines. Now, move to the earlier part of the pandemic, 97% of kids were not meeting the age-appropriate guidelines on movement, screen time, and sleep. Professor Sarah Moore at Dalhousie University, she has been researching this. Here's what she had to say about that. Some of the things that we're worried about are their physical and mental health. And so we're, we're thinking that you know children may be less fit as a result of being less active. They may also be experiencing higher levels of depression and anxiety as a result of the pandemic. And there are some data to be able to support that. We're connecting with fitness expert Chris Smith. He's the president and CEO of Fitness World Canada operating 17 clubs in British Columbia. Chris started as a personal trainer in the industry over 25 years ago and knows the importance physical activity plays in our lives and overall wellness. And Chris, as we just heard, there's a decline in youth and exercise. But with mental health issues on the rise, it is likely needed now more than ever. So let's start there. What do you think is the reason for the lack of activity? I think there's a multitude of reasons. I mean, there's obviously been a huge shift, you know, in technology and where kids are getting into technology. But I do think that the ultimate responsibility does fall back on the parents. 
So how much technology you expose your children to and when you expose them to that technology, what types of technology, you know, setting parameters that make sense so that your kids are still getting, you know, the right amount of physical activity. You can go look at any research, even the World Health Organization says the number one thing that we can do to really combat childhood obesity slash communicable diseases, not just in children, but even for adults, is to get people moving at an early age for all the benefits that are there. There's a lot of reasons behind it, but certainly it's a problem. Another problem would just be even schools. If you look at physical education in the schools nowadays and what is done and what is not done, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, as a society over the last 10, 15, 20 years, we've really pulled back from some of those main disciplines, which in reality, that physical wellness, if you will, that leads to the endorphin release and the mental wellness and all the things that kids are really struggling with these days, now more than ever, physical movement is critical. So we have seen a decline in overall activity in adults and youth. According to the World Health Organization, more than 80% of adolescents and 27% of adults do not meet their recommended levels of physical activity. This affects not only individuals over their life course, but also places a financial burden on health services and society as a whole. So how do we get young people active? I just think productive play, right? You don't want to ask people to do something that they're unhappy doing where they don't find joy in it because then they're not going to make that a lifetime habit. If you just look early on, just making sure kids are getting the appropriate time at recess and they're playing games. There's things that require hand-eye coordination available to them. Just simple stuff like a tetherball, which was very common in a playground when I grew up. Pretty hard to find a simple tetherball that's sitting out in a park nowadays. They're not available. Basketball and soccer and softball and baseball. All the things kids can do just to work on basic hand-eye coordination and play games and have fun, those types of things are going to lead to positive habits, which eventually are going to lead to positive adult habits. Because there's just a joy in movement versus, oh, I have to do this or I have to do that. It's just about moving, right? And having fun while you're doing it. Well, as you mentioned, Chris, when we were kids, we were outdoors all the time. None of us played a lot of video games. And I would be outside until dusk. And for my kids, I had us hiking and enjoying the great outdoors, but then as they got older, they wanted more screen time, because that's what all their friends were and are doing. Now, they don't want to do anything. They just want to stay home. So how can we all work on shifting and finding wellness as a family? Yeah, that's what I was going to say next, was that that's a big thing, right? Like, if you're not being active with your children, then that's a problem. I mean, I'm a father of five. My children are older now. Whether it was playing basketball, going for walks, going for runs, playing tennis, playing all sorts of different sports, lacrosse, whatever their interests were, right? I had to teach myself how to play some sports that I never learned growing up, but those were things that they wanted to do. And if that's what was going to keep them active, then so be it. You know, stuff I see parents do as an example is they take their kids to the community pool, but they don't get in the water. Well, go in the water, go swimming with them, right? You're going to create lasting memories and impressions of a physically active lifestyle, not to mention, I think, just overall as a family unit, it's going to make you that much stronger. And so I just would encourage parents in general to just take the initiative to be actively involved. Don't just sit around and just tell people what to do, but show them. So lead by example. You know, if there's a will, there's a way and there's no limitations, right? So the outdoors, it's beautiful. There's trails everywhere. There's parks everywhere. There's really no excuse. Even some of these indoor pickleball courts, which pickleball is one of the fastest growing sports in the world right now, that's four people on the court at a time. It's not a sport that 
mean, there are talented players out there, but it's something that novices and seniors are picking up very, very quickly, right? So there's a lot of things I think that are affordable and accessible depending where you're at and what you're doing that you can get involved in if, again, you're willing to kind of take the initiative, make the effort, and go do it. Now, what about in schools, Chris? I think that's what the schools need to do a better job of as well, is exposing kids to physical fitness in all its various forms, shapes, sizes, and all the things that come with it, and let them find something they actually enjoy. And then that's when you got to make sure they continue to do that. And again, you can still set some basic standards and expectations on effort and time spent and whatever it might be to subjectively and objectively measure success. But I do think it's just about creating a sustainable future for all of us. The Canadian government spends billions of dollars unnecessarily because our nation is ultimately unhealthy. And there's no reason for that. All of these things, heart disease is preventable. It's the number one killer. Sadly, people don't even necessarily understand that at the height of the pandemic, it never surpassed cardiovascular disease. Cardiovascular disease has been and continues to be the number one killer of Canadians. And it's 100% preventable through diet and exercise. And so again, this all goes back to just where it was a start. And it does start with the kids. And so if we can build healthy habits, get them exposed to things, teach them things, and the schools, again, showed them things that they can enjoy or like, I think we could build better lifetime habits. Very good points, Chris. Money needs to be put into prevention. And educating people on the importance of healthy eating and exercise And then hopefully over time, the pendulum will swing and fewer people will be getting sick and dying from cardiovascular disease and other preventable diseases. But is this the responsibility of the government, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something I'm a big believer in. And FIC, Fitness Industry Canada, has been advocating on behalf of all Canadians with respect to this under the leadership of Sarah Hodson from a a national perspective. And they've been doing a great job fighting for just the average Canadian. But really what we're asking the government to do and the federal government to do in the form of tax credits and tax incentives to really allow people to write off their kids' activities, gym memberships, even personal training, anything that's really physical fitness and or wellness related, and obviously putting a responsible you know cap on that that makes sense, but again, does encourage families to invest in themselves, and there's a benefit to doing so, right? And again, that financial benefit and that tax incentive is really what's necessary I think just motivate people just a little bit extra, right? And it's a reward for those that have already committed to making it a habit. Sadly, it seems people need incentives to make these lifestyle changes. Only one out of four Canadians is exercising on a regular basis. Three out of four are not. And that's just not good. We've got to do better and we have to expect better of ourselves in terms of just the evolution as a society as a whole and just helping improve everybody's lives. So yeah, definitely the government needs to do more and can do more. So if there was a minister or an an MLA or anybody that was trying to say, yeah, we got to study that. We need more research. There's no study nor research that's required. The World Health Organization has published more than enough information on this. The CDC, private studies as well. So I'm naming global organizations because obviously they're not funded by any institution. They have zero bias on anything. They're just a research institution, right? From a World Health Organization perspective, as an example. All the data is there. It's not suggestion. I mean, it's conclusive. There's no like, hmm, are we sure? We know. We know that getting people moving is good physically and mentally. The Center for Disease Control, the CDC, states, regular physical activity is one of the most important things you can do for your health. 
Now, being physically active can improve your brain health, help manage weight, reduce the risk of disease, strengthen bones and muscles, and improve your ability to do everyday activities. It is a proven fact that mental health issues are on the rise. So what do we need to do to help ourselves? The unknowns, the uncertainty, the fear, all that stuff, and those hormone levels get out of balance, potentially even brain waves get out of balance. You gotta bring those things back. And the way you normalize them and bring them back is through just normal activities. Simple walks, simple movements, exercise, yoga, any sport, anything that just resetting the brain, getting the hormones going is what's going to bring the body back to balance. If you leave it out of whack and you just don't address it, it's not going to just over time correct itself. You have to take action to kind of bring it back. What are the basic things we can do even at home to get us up and moving? I would have the conversation about what are your goals and what's the motivations? What are the typical objections? What are the kids objecting to? Let's just say you're taking your kids to their football slash soccer match on the weekend. That warm-up's going to take how long? An hour? So instead of just dropping them off and running to Starbucks and doing whatever in the car, why not drop them off and then park the car and get out and walk around the park for the hour ahead of the actual soccer match? So taking advantage of that time, I think it'd be paramount. Chris, where does your passion and drive come from? It is how I grew up. You know, I grew up in the U.S. and Northern California, kind of in the foothills, in a rural area. But yeah, sport really shaped me as a young human and learning how to just do everything. So it's not a lifestyle for me. It's my life. It's led me to a career that I'm incredibly passionate about with a bunch of like-minded people. I just know the difference that it can actually make. I've seen it firsthand from the early days of my career as a personal trainer, helping people and providing, you know, basic lifestyle recommendations or whatever it might be, all the way to my current seat where, again, I'm leading a team and a business. But the work is really the same. It's how do we get more people moving? How do we help more people live better lives? That's just expanded in scope over time. But yeah, I'm definitely just going to always been something for me that I'm just naturally passionate about. Well, I can feel the passion, Chris. Thank you. To share in the discussion about getting physical, tag us using hashtag health tag. How to choose wellness. During sleep, your body's working to support healthy brain function and maintain your physical health. Now, in children and teens, sleep also helps support growth and development. And getting inadequate sleep over time can raise your risk of chronic and long-term health problems. It can also affect how well you think, react, work, learn, and get along with others. So sleep affects your heart and circulatory system, your metabolism, respiratory system, and immune system. I mean, this is crazy. This is why we need sleep. Alana McGinn is CEO, founder, and certified sleep expert of Goodnight Sleep Site, a global sleep consulting practice. Now, Alana has established Goodnight Sleep Site as a number one sleep resource for families. So this is so exciting, people. She and her team strive to help others overcome their sleep challenges and have well-rested smiles in the morning. And don't we all want that to start the day with a smile? Alana, thank you so much for joining us here on Choosing Wellness. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking Looking forward to our conversation. Me too. Now, off the top, I spoke about some of the research I read saying sleep is important to us. So I'm going to ask you, why is sleep so important to us? 
If we look at our, you know, I used to say our three pillars of health, I have now included that to four. If we look at the first three, which is nutrition, movement, and then sleep, and then adding that fourth in, I think if we look at connection as another pillar of health, I like to look at sleep as really being the foundation of all of those pillars because when we're not sleeping well, we're not making great nutritional choices. Our bodies tend to crave more sugars, more carbs. We're not able to metabolize our food as well and digest our food as well. We don't have the energy to move our bodies. We haven't had a good night of sleep, whether it's short-term or long-term. Our energy levels are low, so we're not getting out to the gym. We're not going out for a simple walk. We're not getting that physical movement, which is so important. And then you mentioned it yourself, how we feel day-to-day, waking up with those smiles in the morning. We are not doing that when we're not sleeping well. So that is going to affect how we connect with others our temperaments, our personalities, our irritabilities, our moods, all of those things get affected when we haven't had a great night of sleep. If we're not sleeping, we're not doing really any of those things. So with sleep being so important, why is it so hard for so many of us to sleep? More and more studies are doing it where we're talking more about the importance of sleep health. But that's recent. And when I say recent, that's only within the, you know, the last few years. We never put the same importance of sleep as we do nutrition and physical exercise. So the reason why sleep is so hard for so many is because we don't put the same value and importance that we do on our other pillars. People just don't understand their own personal sleep needs and what they need to do to really enhance their overall sleep health. So what are all the things we should do to get a good night's sleep? Well, if we focus on just sleep hygiene, if you are someone who's listening to this that has been struggling with what we call chronic insomnia. So if we look at insomnia, insomnia being a sleep disorder, acute insomnia is not sleeping well for maybe a few days for whatever reason. But if you are listening and you are someone who is struggling with chronic insomnia, that's sleep issues for three months or more. You know, something like sleep hygiene, that is really just steps and practices that an individual can take in order to sleep well. So something as simple as keeping consistent sleep patterns, trying to go to bed at the same time every night, trying to wake up at the same time every morning, incorporating a great bedtime routine. When I say go to bed at the same time, making sure that we're actually going to bed when we're tired, but actually going to bed, not just getting into bed and then surfing on TikTok for the next hour or two. The lights out and going to bed when you actually feel tired, when your body's actually telling you that it's time to go to sleep. But that wake time in the morning is probably more important in my opinion than your actual bedtime or bedtime routine because the moment we wake up in the morning if we're keeping that consistent wake time and our wake time is really dictated off of our life when we have to go to work when we have to get the kids ready for school or whatever we need to do that is what starts our sleep driving so having that consistent morning wake time is really really important focusing on sleep environment our rooms really should be for sleep and sex only in terms of social media and tech I have changed my stance on that a little bit. So I always feel bad telling people like, don't watch TV, don't go on social media. (laughs) Don't do any of the things you like to do. Don't do any of the things you actually want to do. So I think it's just important that if you are someone who is struggling with sleep and you know you have to make some really serious changes, you really need to create that sleep plan. Removing tech from the bedroom is the best thing you can do. And that should be number one. Absolutely. I still stand by that. 
set boundaries on what you're allowing in at night. Sure, if there's a show that makes you feel kind of light and fluffy and makes you forget, you know, any worries or woes that might be kind of plaguing your mind, watch one episode. This isn't me giving you permission to stay up till two o'clock in the morning watching no you know, binge season watching? after season. No binge watching. <laughs> stay away from the news. If the news is really triggering, maybe don't check in with the headlines right before you go to bed. Don't check in with work emails. Set those boundaries before you go to bed in terms of tech. But if you are really wanting to make changes, removing tech is the best thing you can do. What a great point and a really good perspective to give people is do the things that are uplifting and make you feel good, not weigh heavy on your brain as you're going to sleep and make you think too deeply about things. And and I think that's hard too, is like, how do we kind of have that clear thought process that nothing's constantly replaying in our mind so that we can get to sleep at night? Quieting the mind is probably the biggest issue that I hear from adults and I'll say women in general on why they have difficulty falling asleep or falling back to sleep. You know, as women, I always say we have a lot of computer tabs open in our brain and that can make it really difficult to sleep. That's why I am focusing so much on stress management now at Good Night Sleep Site on top of sleep health because managing our stress levels and our anxiety levels are so important. A lot of times when we're thinking about sleep, we're focusing just on what are we doing at night? There are steps that you can take to manage those stress levels. So things like we call them personal pauses at good night sleep site. So they can be done one of two ways. One way is just taking time throughout the day to be more present in thought. So however that might look for you, I'm a huge proponent of breath work and there's different breath work techniques and activities that you can choose for yourself. But for me to do the actual act of meditation isn't something that I would incorporate into my world just for me personally, but walking every day is my meditation. Getting out every day and, and getting in that walk, that is time for me to clear my mind, organize my thoughts and get into that present state of mind. For someone else, it could be baking, it could be cooking, it could be working out, it could be cleaning your home, it could be arts and crafts, a creative outlet, something like that. So focus on that personal pause, that more present activity that you can do. But then there's also the side of a personal pause. We are such a distracted society, right? We're so connected and go, go, go that every worry and kind of anxious thought gets pushed down because we can easily distract ourselves throughout the day. And then what happens is we lie in bed, all the distractions are gone and every to-do list, every worry, every thought just floods your brain. But if we actually gave ourselves time throughout the day to work through those thoughts, work through those to-do lists, we wouldn't have to do it at three o'clock in the morning or when we're trying to go to bed at night. So it's called constructive worry, where you're actually writing a list down, whatever problem you have, state your problem, and then take just two minutes out of the day. It doesn't even take a long time. You've focused on that problem. You've written out a couple solutions. You know you've already worked it out. So now when you go to bed and that problem is going to pop into your mind because we're human and that's what's going to happen, you can actually say to yourself, you know what? I gave myself time to work on it today. Don't need to work on it now and I'll finish it off tomorrow. I really like the idea of the things that we can do to positively affect our ability to sleep at night. How much sleep do we need? Is there the right amount for people? There is the right amount for you and there is the right amount for me, but there isn't one amount for everyone. And I think that that's really important. Yes, I can throw out the seven to eight hours mm -hmm. that we always read about, but we all have our own personal baseline. We all have our own personal sleep needs. So I always say anywhere in between six to nine hours, because some people actually might need more. They might need nine or 10. It, again, it depends on the individual. How do you feel day to day? Like that is your biggest takeaway in all this is when you're sleeping six hours at night, 
how are you feeling throughout the day? If you're sleeping seven, how are you feeling throughout the day? That's kind of your telltale on how much sleep you need. So if you wake up naturally at sort of that 6 a.m. or whatever it happens to be, 5.30 in the morning, is that really what you should focus on to say, that's my body telling me it's time to get up and then back it off and then try to go to sleep six, seven, seven and a half, eight hours before that? Yeah, exactly. So base your bedtime off the time that you wake up in the morning, whether it's naturally or through an alarm, right? right? Yeah. And that should be that bedtime that you try and hit. If you do wake up, what should we be doing so that we can try to have a reasonable amount of hours in bed sleeping? Things like sleep hygiene, consistent sleep patterns, bedtime routine, sleep environment, you know, all of these great things aren't all the tools that we should put into our sleep plan positive affirmations, you know, changing our relationship with sleep, how we feel about our our emotional relationship, how we feel about our sleep health. This falls under CBTI, so Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia. And there's a lot of kind of therapies that fall under that umbrella. So something like strengthening that positive association between sleep and your bed. So actually physically getting out of bed if you can't sleep get out of bed and do a quiet activity. Set up that activity before you go to sleep. Don't allow that activity to be watching TV and going on your phone and things like that. But maybe it's reading a little bit in low light. Maybe it's doing a craft like if you're a knitter or crochet or doing a puzzle, something kind of low stimulation. Set it up outside of your bedroom so that when you're getting up at three o'clock in the morning, go and do that activity. Maybe it takes 15 to 20 minutes. Wait until your body starts to feel sleepy again then get back into bed and try to fall asleep. If it takes you longer than 15 or 20 minutes again, you would get out of bed, go back to the activities. What we're doing is we're allowing our bodies to have less time awake in bed, which is really the focus of that technique. So you might have to do a few times, but the more you do it, the easier it is to fall back asleep, then eventually you won't have to do it at all. I love the way you're looking at this. And then those people who wake up just to flip over or because they're, you know, a woman in menopause, so you get a hot flash and so you wake up, but you're able to go right back to sleep again. If that is happening on a consistent basis, should we be worried or if we're able to fall back asleep relatively quickly, is that okay? It's okay if you're able to fall back asleep. I mean, listen, we all wake up throughout the night. You know, we go through our our natural cycles of sleep are anywhere between 75 to 90 minutes long. And we're getting about five to six cycles of those sleep throughout the night if you're getting the right amount of sleep throughout the night. If you are someone where you are getting some fragmented sleep, you're noting that you're getting that fragmented sleep, but you're able to fall back asleep easier. I like to say, don't worry about that. We all have the ability to sleep. It shouldn't be so hard. And what can happen is if we start hyper-focusing on our sleep, like conversations like this are important, right? Because they're important to get that education out there. But what can happen, especially someone who's dealing with insomnia, is hearing conversations like this and now starting to hyper-focus on every little thing. And that's not, that's not good on any kind of level for wellness, whether we're dealing with nutrition, exercise, or sleep. It's important to just not hyper-focus on the small things, I think is really an important conversation to have too. Yeah, that's a strong message for people to take away with them because you're right. As soon as it starts to build in the mind and we start thinking about it, we go deeper and deeper and then we have even more issues. I went to your site and so there's the whole program for adults who are having problems sleeping, but it's the whole gamut. And what's fantastic is that so much of it is online. So it's it's very easy for people to access it. Yeah, absolutely. We developed e-courses just for that reason. We also have the one-on-one consultations. You know, I when I started Goodnight Sleep Site over 
15 years ago, we started with babies and toddlers and sleep training. And then what ended up happening is a lot of adults were coming to me and a lot of grandparents were saying, you know, my kids sleep well, or my grandkids sleep well, but I'm not sleeping well. So that's kind of when we shifted our education. We developed tween and teen programs because that is Mm -hmm. an age group that their sleep is largely affected. All the information is there for you to put your sleep plan together and really kind of chip away at it at your own time. You've given us a lot of food for thought here. So much great content and information. And I just love how you're looking at it in the sense of there's so many things that we can do in our lives to give us a better night's sleep. Alana, thank you so much. Anything else before we go? I think it's really important for people to know that there is a difference between sleep deprivation and insomnia. Because often if we think we're not sleeping well, we have insomnia. We're so quick to kind of throw that label. So insomnia is people who actually have difficulty falling asleep when they want to, whether that be at bedtime, whether that be in the middle of the night, and have stress and anxiety around that. Someone who is sleep deprived is just someone who's not getting the right amount of sleep. Thank you so much. And thanks for your time. Thank you. Being real. Our sleep expert, Alana McGill, just took us through the difference between sleep deprivation and insomnia. Roughly one in three adults worldwide have insomnia symptoms, and about 10% of adults meet the criteria for insomnia disorder. Insomnia is a common sleep disorder that can make it hard to fall asleep, hard to stay asleep, or cause you to wake up too early and not be able to get back to sleep. So chronic insomnia, or insomnia disorder, occurs when your inability to sleep has been happening for months and for some years. Meet Muhammad Yusuf, a periodontist living in Egypt. This is Muhammad's story. This is being real. It's been years now. I'm having these issues to go to sleep. After a very long day working and finishing all the stuff I have to do, it's almost 12 in the morning or 1 in the morning. I find myself that I need two or three hours to spend for myself for some quality time for myself. The last thing that I reached thinking about it is the fear of missing out, like having a busy day, full day working in the office, in between finishing a lot of errands and stuff that put me in a position that at the end of the day, I didn't have any time during the day for myself either to read, watch a movie or a series I'm following, or even listen to some music. So after a very long day, like what I was saying, watching a TV or listening to music or even reading a book, I don't have this luxury of time during the day. So I believe this is the main reason, and in my opinion, maybe there's something else, I don't know, but this is what I reached after a lot of thinking about it, that I just need some time for myself and I cannot find it during the whole day. It's very limited. Most of the days are full. I wake up 8 in the morning, sometimes 7.30, and I work all day driving and finishing a lot of stuff. So I don't have any time for myself. This is how I see it. My analysis to the situation of insomnia and sleeping disorders. When I'm 
regularly visiting the gym or playing sports it helps a little bit more to sleep better or deeper at night but it doesn't mean that I'm sleeping more hours it's only maybe a deeper sleep or a better quality sleep but it doesn't exceed five hours anyways this is my maximum even if I have time and uh, I'm on a vacation I cannot sleep more than five hours even when I'm deprived of having a good sleep actually I cannot say deprived because I deprive myself it's no one's fault but when I'm in this situation which is most of the time I'm always nervous I'm always angry um, my tolerance is in a very low level you know I don't have the tolerance enough driving or during work or even with the families and my tolerance is very limited you know like come on give me a break and it puts you in a situation or a condition that is not really nice I take a step back and I analyze my day and I watch my behavior and see if I sleep more what's gonna happen and how I react to it and it's affecting me and the days that I sleep for only two or three hours and how it affects me exercise is a good thing but as I'm telling you, it just gives me only a good quality of sleep, not a longer hours. If I went to bed for three, four hours sleep, I sleep the four hours deeply, but it doesn't make me sleep for seven hours. It just puts you in a good mood. It's a mood booster. Exercise is always a mood booster. I check my wellness report of the mobile every week and I see how many hours I spend on the social media and it's a lot <laughs> it's scary really because I actually it's like I spent 22 hours or 18 hours on Instagram which is almost a day so a day from the seven days of the week on Instagram I cannot say it's it's a shame but things shouldn't be this way it shouldn't be this way the Instagram is crazy it's all about the good life. It's all about the photos, the videos, the good looks. Instagram is crazy, in my opinion. If I can quit Instagram, I think I will have a better life. <laughs> you know, I just can't. Maybe I try to control it, but it's not that easy. It's just a reminder. It's not going to make me stop. The fear of missing all of this stuff. <laughs> this is how my brain works. I don't know. This is my analysis. And this is how I see it. Life Unlocked. Oh, there's nothing quite like waking up and feeling refreshed and ready for the day ahead. But unfortunately, many people struggle in Snoozeville. Somebody out there, please help me to sleep. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm still wide awake. Millions have resorted to an over-the-counter remedy. The melatonin you might be taking could actually be harmful. More and more people are jumping on the melatonin bandwagon, thinking it will help them sleep. So what is it? Well, melatonin is a hormone in your body that plays a role in sleep. The production and release of melatonin in the brain is connected to time of day, increasing when it's dark and decreasing when it's light. Melatonin production declines with age. And it helps with the timing of your circadian rhythms, which is our 24-hour internal clock. We naturally produce melatonin to help us fall asleep. As it begins to get dark out, our bodies produce more melatonin to help us go and stay asleep. 
But with sleep issues on the rise, more and more people are turning to melatonin and taking it as a supplement, typically as an oral tablet or capsule. Now, some studies do show it can be helpful, but who should be taking it? Melatonin only works for short-term treatment like jet lag. Many people are using melatonin, so the question is, is it safe? Well, according to Consumer Reports Canada, you should not exceed more than 10 milligrams. And if you want to try using melatonin, you should really start out with a low dose of around 0.05 milligrams. Now, melatonin is not regulated the same way as prescription and over-the-counter drugs. So you want to be careful about what ones you're using. Taking more than your body produces can make you groggy or mentally and physically slow the next day. If you're having trouble sleeping, look at your diet, how much exercise you're getting, your sleep hygiene routine at night, and work to go to bed and get up at the same time. And apparently, a dark, cool room is a helpful tool to get some good night Z's. If you choose to take melatonin, it can have concerning side effects. Some melatonin users are taking dangerously high amounts for extended periods, which can lead to problems ranging from headache and dizziness to confusion, irritability, and depression. Short-term use of melatonin supplements appears to be safe for most people, but information on the long-term safety of supplementing with melatonin is lacking. The safe bet is to check with your doctor or naturopath before prescribing melatonin to yourself. Life Unlimited with Stephanie Staples. Well, it is time to recharge re-energize and revitalize with our nurse turned motivational speaker stephanie staples welcome back did you get enough sleep last night steph yes i did i'm a full eight hours last night right on me sleep is so so important and lack of sleep can be related to so many different things in our life mood everything like that and so we want to talk a little bit about sleep math with you I am intrigued. Bring me into your sleep math world. Okay. Well, I mean, I agree with you. This is foundational. And if I had a nickel for every person that said, I'm so tired, I'm so tired, I'm so exhausted. (laughs) And I say, you know, about how many hours of sleep have you been getting, you know, on average? And they're like, eh, five or six. Okay, well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to tell you you're tired because you need to sleep more. But you don't know my life. I got this and I got that and da 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 da. And it reminds me a lot of that family circus cartoon. I don't know if you remember, but there's a little circle and Billy's like he's on his way home. And instead of taking a straight line home, he jumps over fences and he goes to do a hundred other things before he actually gets home. And I feel like for a lot of us, dare I say, especially women, the same thing about going to bed, right? I'm tired, I'm gonna go to sleep, but then we have 28 other things we gotta do before that happens. And that's where the sleep math comes in. So the first question I would ask you is, what is your sweet spot hours of sleep? For example, this is the time that if you didn't have to set an alarm, you would wake up after having this many hours of sleep and you're like, hmm, I actually feel pretty good. I think I'm ready to get up. What would be your sweet spot number of hours? That's a great question. And I did a little test on my own last summer, actually. And I thought, I'm just going to see what time I wake up every day, just on my own. 
like I wake up naturally around 6 a.m. and I go to bed. I'm usually pretty done by between 10 and 10.30. So on average, I get between seven and eight hours sleep every single night. And that seems to be my sweet spot. Any less than that, I'm draggy. Any more than that, I'm useless. It's funny how that works in reverse. So if we said, like, do you want to say seven hours or do you want to say eight hours? What number do you want to play with? Let's say seven, because you know what? (laughs) I don't want to make this too difficult on you. Okay, so when you already kind of answered the next question. So the next question I would ask is, what is your typical time that you would wake up to start your day for work or that sort of thing? And you've already said six o'clock. Then I would ask you to do more thinking. Now, how long does it take you to do your, I'm in quotes here, bedtime regime? So that would be getting your stuff organized for the next day, doing your hygiene routine, pray, meditate, read, yoga, whatever you do before bed. How long would you need to do that stuff? So for me, for example, I would give myself like an hour, 20 minutes to get ready for the next day, 20 minutes to do my hygiene routine, 20 minutes to read yoga, whatever before bed. What does yours look like, Karen? (laughs) I am laughing because I'm listening to you going, yeah, I really want to do all those things. But honestly, when I make my decision to go to bed, by the time I've made that decision and I'm in bed with lights out Mm -hmm. is about 15 minutes because I haven't built any of that in. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to go to bed now. And then I just go to bed. Okay. So 15 minutes is what you're using like unconsciously. So if you were to be conscious about it, what would be a nice amount of time do you think? I love what you just said. Prepare for the next day, even get my lunch ready. I'd love to even have the odd time where I could just take a bath or do some sort of facial or something like that, right? Like crazy stuff. So, I mean, ideally, I would love. Let's give you an hour. Just We're just going right. to dream big. Do it. All right. So here's the math. So your get up time is six. Your sweet spot hours of sleep is seven. So you got to go backwards from the six o'clock and that takes us to 11 o'clock, right? So that would be your seven hours of sleep. And then you're going to go one more hour because you got that hour that you gave yourself for your sleep routine. So that means 10. It means at five to 11 or quarter to 11, you can't be like, I got to get to bed by 11. No, that means at like 10 o'clock, your alarm goes off on your phone. Screens go down. You cease and desist at 10 o'clock. This is your sleep regime. You tell your family, this is how it's going to roll. Maybe every single night it's not going to work. Try one night a week. Try two nights a week. How many is reasonable to try? Try three nights a week. I will guarantee you, if you live with someone else, your family wants you to be well-rested. They don't want you to be a nasty, overtired, cranky bear. You think you've got to do a hundred other things before you go to bed. But if you know at 10 o'clock, everything stops at that time, the most important things are going to rise to the top. And let me tell you, no one has died since I started doing this. (laughs) The world has continued to spin. (laughs) I know. That's my spiel. What do you think? I think it's brilliant. And it's like anything that we do in life. If you didn't plan things out and you didn't set time aside, then you'd be getting absolutely nothing done because you're just probably spinning in circles Mm -hmm. all the time. So I really like that idea. And having that morning routine is the same thing, Mm -hmm. you know, setting aside enough time, like you don't get up at 6am and head out the door at 6.15. Well, maybe a few people do, (laughs) maybe lots of people do, but you shouldn't, right? Because then you're scrambling and you're probably forgetting things and it can really set your day off on the wrong path. So I do have time. I do make sure there's time in the morning. So you need to do the same thing at night. I love it. I think it's a great idea. It's about being purposeful and intentional and deliberate. And sleep is foundational. Everything else will be better 
if you get a better night's sleep. Everything else will be better and everything will be worse if you don't. And if you continually rob yourself of this basic necessity, you're harming yourself and everyone around you. You're not working to your capabilities. The world's not getting the best of you and on and on we go. The best time to start your day is the night before. There's always going to be one more thing to do. You will never be done again. So just decide at this hour, I'm done. Otherwise, there'll always be one more thing to do because we have this thing called one more thing-itis. I'll just do one more thing and then I'll get rid of one more thing and then I'll get rid of it. Was that just me? Oh my God, I love that. No, it's so true. I, and I can see and hear so many people saying, oh, that's so me. It's such a really brilliant point. It just resonates so well because it's the way so many of us live our lives. And I will say it, especially women because we pack so much into our day and then we've got all the other things usually on top of that to have to deal with so a funny thing and again this is probably completely sexist but in my audiences I will often ask men I only want the men to answer this question when you are tired what do you do and they shout out sleep they don't even shout out go to bed they just sleep wherever they are. <laughs> and that's it. And I'm not dissing the men. I think we should learn from them because typically as women, when we're tired, what we do is we complain about how tired we are. Oh my gosh, I'm so tired. Oh my goodness. I'm just, I'm, I'm so tired. <laughs> and then if we have a partner, perhaps they might say, well, go to bed. And we say, I can't go to bed and we pull out our scroll <laughs> of all the things we have to do. And then at some point, exhaustion hits us and we have to go to bed. But then we put our head on the pillow and what are we thinking about? We're thinking about that scroll and all the things that we didn't get done. And if that scroll should ever finish, the new list that pops up in our head is the list that says all the things we got to do tomorrow. Mm. So no wonder we're not sleeping so swell, right? So what would it be like if we honored our body and we just gave ourselves that gift of at least a good try for a good night's sleep? Put our head on our pillow at the end of the day. This is what I tell myself. Everything that needed to get done today got done today. And everything else is going to be there tomorrow. And maybe I didn't help everybody today, but I helped somebody today. Somebody's day is a little bit better because I showed up as best as I could. And I show up as best as I could when I'm well rested. I think this is a great place for so many people to take a look at how they can change their life and choose that wellness piece by just working in a routine that will get them to sleep. And I like the math that you do and, and how that all works. Yeah, well, I look forward to hearing how it works for you. I'm going to do exactly what you said. I'm going to start with two days because that's reasonable and then see the results. And I'm sure as I see those results, it'll be three, then four, then five. Then I think that's the other thing. You hear a concept or an idea and maybe your first thought is like, I can't do that. I can't make that work. So maybe for seven days, you can't do that. But Linda, you just said, I'm going to try it for two days. Maybe an hour is like too decadent at first, but maybe you'll try half an hour. Then maybe you'll grow it or maybe half an hour will be plenty or I don't know. But it's not just shutting the ideas down because that specific way won't work for you. It's about taking the idea and going, twisting it, turning it, combining it with others. How can I make this work for me? And before we go, anything else? Yes. I just want to say it's Stephanie Staples encouraging you to live your life unlimited. 
Meditation Moment. Trying to create the ideal sleep environment, cool, calm, light-free, and quiet, can be a challenge. Research has found that sleep disturbances caused by noise pollution have health consequences for our biological systems. Both duration and quality of sleep can be impacted by outside noises. White noise machines can help as they provide steady, continuous noise that blocks out all the other stuff, like cars, sirens, barking dogs, or someone up watching TV. Researchers have also found white noise helps people not only get to sleep, but also stay asleep. White noise is a combination of various sounds at different frequencies that are audible to the human ear. It can often sound like hissing or a shh sound. Now, the other option is pink noise, which is similar, but it may be a bit more appealing for some who'd prefer the sound of falling rain, waves crashing, or wind blowing. Either way, if you need a better shut-eye, you can give it a try. Life is challenging, and choosing wellness in our daily lives may seem like adding to the already long to-do list. But together, we can make it easier. On the next Choosing Wellness, we focus on healthy brains, a being real story on living with Alzheimer's, and Stephanie Staples' Life Unlimited talks self-compassion. I'm Linda Freeman. Let's connect again soon, as together, we take the journey of choosing wellness. You've been listening to Choosing Wellness, an initiative powered by Pattison Media, designed to inspire and motivate a healthy life. For more information on this program, go to pattisonmedia.com and everythinglifestyle.ca. Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.